0: Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the History of Software podcast. My name is Podrick Coffey. I'm the CEO of Zartus, and today we're joined by Albena Krasteva, who's the head of growth at Zartus. How are you today, Albena?
1: Very good. Thanks, Podrick. How are you?
0: I'm pretty good. I'm really looking forward to this episode because we are speaking about a very interesting character from the history of technology, a guy called George Boole. Who was an English mathematician was George Boole someone you had come across before we started preparing for this episode?
1: I had come across boolean logic because I think a lot of search engines nowadays um use it, so I have used the and uh, or or not in multiple occasions, but I didn't actually know anything on the history of um, of the man the man behind it
0: okay very good well um George Boole, you know, it's a name I'm I'm quite familiar with. I attended the university in Cork where the library and the main lecture theatres were were called after him, so I spent probably not enough time in the Boole library in uh, in UCC in Cork, but um, yeah, someone I was, you know, familiar with uh, in terms of the name and as you mentioned in terms of Boolean logic, but didn't know a lot about him prior to researching for this episode, so it's, um, it's going to be very interesting. We might jump in, and I think, Albaina, probably the best way for us to look at this is to look at Boole first in, in biographical terms, and then look at Boole in terms of the impact that his research and his findings had on the world of software.
1: Sounds good.
0: Excellent. So, Boole was born in 1815 in Lincoln, in England. He didn't come from an aristocratic background. His father was a shoemaker, and he had little formal education beyond primary school. I guess people back in the Georgian and Victorian eras uh, got their lives together a bit faster than we do in the 21st century, because by the age of 19, Boole had set up his own school, and for the next fifteen years, he spent a lot of time administrating and running schools, teaching, and was very deep in the, the world of education, despite his own lack of formal education. So was clearly a really smart guy, um, in that he would be what you would call an autodidact. Um he taught himself uh many mathematical concepts, he taught himself modern languages, um, he learned Latin. So You know, what's really wonderful about many of these 19th century figures that we talk about in this podcast is they often have a really broad range of interests. So Boole was interested in theology, philosophy, mathematics, mechanics. Uh, We mentioned Latin, modern languages, and he still found time to run schools and also advocate for making life better through campaigns for reform. So have you ever heard about the campaign for early closing? I haven't, no. Okay, well, I hadn't either, so I'm sure (laughs) very few people have. Um, So basically, the campaign for early closing was um, a social movement to try and limit the working week. So at the time, on average, people were working 72 hours per week, and this campaign was all about... Reducing that down to a much more manageable sixty hours a week, <laughs> which, by today's standards, sounds absolutely insane. But um, you know, those were the those were the times. So um, you know, back to back to Boole himself. What seems to have been a real inflection point in his life was when he began publishing research papers, mainly on topics pertaining to mathematics, and a real, I think. What really bolstered his career was that in 1844 he was a recipient of a, a royal medal for mathematics so this was a, awarded by the royal society on the basis that his paper was the most significant they had received in over three years then in 1846 uh Buhl decided to pursue an academic career in ireland so What was going on um, from 1845 onwards was that the British administration, so Ireland at the time was fully under British rule, had decided to establish three universities called Queen's Colleges, uh, one of them in Belfast, another in Galway, and a third one in Cork. So there's a potentially apocryphal or made-up story, uh, which goes as follows, that the... The plans for the three Queen's Colleges were being prepared in an office in London, and there was uh, a much more extravagant university envisaged for Belfast uh, over Cork and Galway, because Belfast was a much more prosperous and important city for the British Empire. But that this young clerk, who was originally from Cork, switched the plans between Queen's College in Belfast and Queen's College Cork, so Cork ended up with a much nicer campus uh, than Belfast. I'm not sure if this story is true. Um, I heard it over a dinner table many years ago, but uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty cool story and I actually kind of hope it's true. So- certainly a
1: beautiful campus in Cork I've been several times.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is absolutely stunning. And in fact, uh, from where I'm recording uh, today, I'm uh, like five minutes away from the university campus in Cork and it's just, it's one of the most beautiful places in Ireland to take a walk. It's absolutely stunning. You have these lovely mature gardens, you have this be- beautiful stone buildings uh, constructed using local limestone. And uh, yeah, it's a, a very, very nice place to, to while away a few hours if you're ever in Cork. Bull, as, as I mentioned, he was uh, applying for an academic position in Ireland. He didn't mind where he went in Ireland i think he was just aware of the the opportunity with three universities opening up simultaneously now uh, he was applying from probably about 1846 onwards but the the big challenge was that there was a lot of chaos happening in Ireland at that time um namely uh what's known as the great famine uh which is a very significant genocide i suppose you would call it um so Ireland at that time, there was probably two main cohorts of population. You had uh, a large or a small landlord class and you had subsistence uh, farmers, which was the majority of the population. And those subsistence farmers were mainly raising potato crops to feed themselves and their families. And they would sell on a surplus. And that's how they eked out a living at that moment in time. The problem from 1845 onwards was that the potato crops in Europe were failing due to uh, a disease called potato blight, which meant that millions of people were starving uh, in Ireland during this time. Uh, it's estimated that a million people died of starvation and associated diseases, and another million people emigrated in that five, million, uh, five year period. So you're talking about a population decline of 25% on the island of Ireland over over a four or five year period. So, you know, that all that chaos, everything that was going on in Ireland at that time, um, it got in the way of, uh, of Boole's ambitions and it, it kind of slowed things down. But as things started to recover in 1849, um, Boole made his way to, to Cork uh, to take up the very first professorship of mathematics Uh, at what was then known as Queen's College Cork and would later become known as University College Cork. So Boole initially lived uh, right across the street from where I went to primary school actually. So Cork is a small town, part of the city was called Strawberry Hill. So he lived there initially and he seems to have advanced very quickly in his career at at Queen's College Cork. So he arrived in uh, 1849, and by eighteen fifty-one he was essentially the, the dean of sciences at the university. So um seems to have been a very conscientious, hardworking person, seems to be uh, seems to have been a very decent person as well, um, very focused on issues of social improvement, um, concerned with uh, the lives of people that were less fortunate. I guess the fact that he came from quite a humble background himself gave him a lot of empathy towards the plight of less fortunate people. Alberta, uh, at this time, I might pass over to you, and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the impact of of Bull's research, of his writings, and you know how they how they impacted on the world of technology today.
1: Yeah, certainly. Boole's breakthrough insight was that logic, which had previously been considered a branch of philosophy, could be applied in mathematics, more specifically by expressing logical problems in a symbolic format, so that they could be solved in a way similar to mathematical problems. For example, Boolean algebra uses true or false values to evaluate logical propositions, true being represented as 1 and false as 0. Those truth values are used as variables instead of numeric quantities, which which are used in ordinary algebra. Additionally, you can combine those logical propositions using operators such as and, or, and not.
0: Very good. Um, w- would you be able to explain to me, like the the implications of Boole's work for for software, particularly? So, if I if I'm understanding correctly. It doesn't appear as if software would exist without Boolean logic as its backbone. Is that fair to say?
1: If you think of evaluating statements or conditions as true or false, and then assigning an action based on that evaluation, it's largely how modern code works today. For example, if x equals y, um, do action a. If not, do action b. If a user is signed in and has selected a product, allow them to buy it. If they have selected a product but are not signed in, ask them to sign in first. I'm sure you can already see how fundamentally impactful Boolean logic is for software and programming as we know it today. But it actually took many, many years for his work to be recognized for its practical implications. For many years, it was considered innovative, but primarily abstract mathematics. The practical application of Bo's work became apparent 80 years um, after his work, The Laws of Thought, was published. And how that happened was Claude Shannon, an American electrical engineering master's degree student at MIT, picked up his book. Shannon was working with a differential analyzer, which was an analog computer and considered one of the most powerful computing machines of the time. The differential analyzer was the size of a large room and basically an elaborate system of gears, pulleys and rods. It didn't represent mathematical variables with zeros and ones as digital computers do, but by a continuous range of values, the physical rotation of the rods. Shannon's job as a laboratory assistant was to help scientists quote unquote program their problems by rearranging the mechanical linkages between the rods so that their motions would correspond to the appropriate mathematical equations. Shannon quickly became fascinated with the control circuit of the machine, which consisted of relay switches that could be automatically open and closed by an electromagnet. The states of the relays being either open or closed resembled the symbolic logic of Boole in which a statement is either true or false. He realized the switches combining circuits could carry out standard operations of symbolic logic. This realization is at the basis of digital computers as we know them today. The basic difference between analog and digital computers is the type of signal and data they process. Analog computers process analog data, which means continuously varying data. This could be things like temperature, voltage, etc., physical quantities. Digital computers process data which is binary. It comes in the form of zero or one. This shift has allowed computers, now digital, to be more easily programmable, faster, to store data in a more efficient and easy way. Additionally, it should be noted that while analog computers have limited ability to act as a digital system, digital computers can emulate the behavior of analog computers. But computers would come later. To come back to Shannon's master thesis, he gave a simple illustration showing how relay switches could be arranged to produce a lock that opened if and only if a series of buttons was pressed in the proper order. The implications of that were significant. A switching circuit could make decisions, an ability that had once seemed unique to living beings. You can draw links from the legacy and the logic of George Bo to the work of Claude Shannon to today's deep learning and artificial intelligence. In summary, Bo's work provides the mathematical and logical underpinning for modern computing from the transition from analog to digital data to the instruction sequences which are at the basis of programming languages, AI, etc. <laughs>
0: it's amazing to be able to trace the roots of all of these concepts and ideas that we're we're getting more and more familiar with back to you know Victorian times essentially and to you know uh, the son of a shoemaker uh, who you know taught himself mathematics uh, and was so so intellectually significant that he was able to propel himself forward into an academic career And for me, that's one of the most gratifying aspects of uh, producing this podcast every week is the opportunity to research and learn and look at these very significant figures in the history of technology and the history of software, the impact that they had on the world. And many of them, as I say, coming from either humble beginnings or you know, when you speak about people like Ada Lovelace, um, you know, the fact that at that time. It was not common for for women to be very prominent in the worlds of academia. Um, it's just amazing to see what people were able to accomplish. And uh, as I say, it is one of the most exciting and gratifying aspects of working on this podcast.
1: What was specifically interesting for me do- while doing this research was the importance of history. If Claude Shannon hadn't picked up an eight-year-old book, we might not have digital computers as we know them today or not in the same timeline. We often think what's modern is what's right, what's best, what's coolest, but sometimes the answers might lie in the past.
0: I think we could wrap up for today. It's been great talking with you and uh, really appreciate your your inputs on um, on the work of George Boole and the impact that that's had in terms of software in terms of hardware probably the uh, germination of things like artificial intelligence. Our podcast is produced by Nick Brennan, and uh, we'd like to thank you once again for listening this week. Thank you, Albina.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Bodrig.